Father God, open your word to us. Help us to understand something, Lord, of your purposes as you've revealed them through Moses, as you spoke to Moses at the mountain and revealed your law. Help us to conform our, 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 our community and our nature to your ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We, our first church value, it's on our website there, is that we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's authoritative word. And it, with the power of the Spirit, has power to change us to be more like Jesus. And because we believe the Bible, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, we proclaim the Bible, we endeavour to live its teachings out. We believe the Bible. So this year our theme for our church life is that we belong. And that we want everyone to find your place in the family of God. So what better thing to do when you look at our, our theme of belonging and that we believe the Bible, what better part of the Bible to go to than the story in Exodus where God almost for the first time gathers his people Israel together around the mountain. Because there they belong as God's people. There they're called and saved as God's people. And I've certainly enjoyed this series today. God says, you know, I, I called you to myself. I carried you on eagle's wings. You are my chosen people, my treasured possession, a holy nation. You ought to be a kingdom of priests. And the mountain shakes with glory and power and the people are afraid. And God speaks his ten words, or we call them the Ten Commandments. But they basically say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then the last six will love your neighbor as yourself. In one sense, they're all about these love, these temples. And it's a wonderful, wonderful part of scripture. And then we get to chapter 21. And these are the laws. These are the rules you ought to set before them. And it's been so glorious and wonderful. And suddenly, uh, crunch. Three chapters of law. Rules about slavery and violence and injury if you've been injured by a dangerous oxen. Restitution for theft, property damage, limits on the use of power, protection of the vulnerable, worship, integrity and legal matters, Sabbath observance, feast observance and on and on and on. And they're all a bit mixed up. There's a bit of order, but they just seem to be a bit mixed up. Some, if you do this, then that, but others are just like, don't do this or do do that. And many of them, to our 21st century Western sensibilities, are just frankly, what? It was good that um, Seb put up those weird laws, because a lot of these are like, do, you know, do not go up. To, the, to my altar on steps. No steps? Or your private parts may be exposed. There must have been a lot of Scotsmen around. I don't know. <laughs> if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, or buy a Hebrew slave, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. Gotcha. Anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who kidnaps someone 
is to be put to death whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. And right at the end, maybe the best of them all, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. I believe the Bible. But what do you do with these? How do you apply them? It would be a lot easier just to skip right over these laws. And this week, frankly, in preparation, I wish I did. This is not easy. But it is the word of an unchanging God. And it is, we're told in Scripture, for us. All Scripture is profitable for reproof, correction and training in righteousness. So just I want to start with a few comments to try and set a bit of a scene as I see it. And I do not pretend this is easy. These laws are related to a sense of the unity, the wholeness of God's salvation, Israel's salvation. These laws have been embedded into a narrative. They're found in a story. They are part of the story. It's not a case of here comes the story, now stop the story, here comes the law. No, the story is actually continuing. Israel is being made ready as God's people to enter the promised land where they will live together under God's rule. Following God's laws. So I think when these laws were given, in a sense, they're not like for us boring and, and inexplicable. They're actually, I think they would have been exciting. Because here we are being gathered. God's telling us we're going to be his people. We're going to the land. Well, this is how it's going to look like. These are the boundaries. These are the principles. And I think for those first hearers, they would have been so radical. It wasn't like this in Egypt. Slaves in Egypt just got kicked around. They never had a day off. It wasn't like this in Egypt if someone, did, someone powerful did something wrong. It wasn't like this in Egypt. It's not like this in the nations around about. And there are law codes like this from other cultures and they're not like this. These laws often address specific circumstances. And they're written for a culture that is totally different from ours. Don't flush your toilet after 10pm sounds trivial compared to the differences in this culture and the gaps that we face in these laws. They are often complex and there are gaps within them. They're not comprehensive. They don't cover every situation of life or, or even everything to do in the situations that are addressed. And at times we just have to say in reading them, actually, I don't know what's going on there quite. I don't quite get it. We've only got what we've got. So we need to, when we encounter these laws, tread very carefully. And we shouldn't cherry pick out of them those that suit our needs at any one particular time. We must not divorce them from the narrative that they are part of. We need to instead, I think, appreciate the unity, the, the unity of the overall narrative and their place within the narrative. That is, appreciate the unity in these laws. We like to compartmentalise, in our, in our world at least. 
So I, I, I hear the gospel and I trust in Jesus and I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Done. Then I'll go and I'll worship God in church on a Sunday. Done. Then I'll live my life at work, at home, in society. There's one law at work. There's another law in my heart. There's another law when I'm on the road. There's different expectations and this is all separate. In the Exodus narrative, in the Exodus story, God saves his people out of slavery in Egypt. He redeems them so that they might worship him at the mountain. And as they're at the mountain, worship him, he gives them his law so that they might worship him with the whole of their lives. There's not three separate things. It's one narrative. Because their worship is fundamentally expressed in obedience to his rule. And it's really no different for us today. There's a unity to our lives and our salvation. These radically different laws expound what it will look like when Israel, the people of God, enter the promised land. And these laws express the very character of God. In other words, when we look at these laws, we say, here is what's on God's heart for his people. That they will be a holy nation. That they will be a kingdom of priests. Blessing the nations around. Living differently. So what I hope to do this morning is draw out what I believe are the essential elements of God's character and God's purposes revealed in these three odd chapters of laws. And as I do, it's good, good having Peter here. I'm going to be using prison fellowship as just one little example of, I think, one group of Christians trying their best to apply the laws of Exodus today. And I might get it wrong. You can check with Peter afterwards. And I'm not saying that they're the best exemplars, but I'm just trying to show you they, I believe they can be applied today. Firstly... God is God. God saves. God rules. Therefore, God sets the law. We do not create God, and therefore we do not determine how God is to be honoured. He's to be honoured, worshipped in accordance with his character, because he is God. He's to be worshipped in truth consistent with his character and glory. As we honour God, we are not to be honouring ourselves instead. We're not to be pretending to honour God so that we might actually honour ourselves. That's pretty basic, yeah? These group of laws in this big passage we're looking at start and finish with the nature of true worship of the God of Israel. And they are really an extension of the first four words, the first four commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. So, to start, here we are at the start of these commands in chapter 20. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. This is the God of heaven speaking to the people of earth. 
Do not make any gods to be alongside me. This is a repeat of the commands almost. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. Do not do that. Instead, make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle, wherever, wherever I cause my name to be honoured. You're to do this. And I will come to you and bless you. You're not to worship images that you make. Rather, you're to worship me through sacrifices. Sacrifices for sin, for atonement, for, to be, as, as, a, as a symbol of your sin being punished and taken away. And so the altar becomes central for those sacrifices. Often we talk about in churches that the altar is at the front of the church. Big table and it's where the sacrifice of Jesus is repeated in communion, some might say. That's why it's an altar. And it's often incredibly ornate and grand. Well, here's what God says. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones. For you will defile it if you use a tool on it. Your altar will be simple and unhewn, so that there is no possibility that you will worship that which is made by man. You're to worship me in my truth. And so the next verse, the Scotsman's verse, and do not go up to my altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. What's that about? I think it's the same message. In the nations around about, in other forms of worship, the priests might approach this fancy altar and go up on the steps possibly naked, possibly barely dressed, very possibly making a lewd display so that all the attention is drawn to this person approaching the spiritual, the almighty. And, it, and the God of Israel says, not for me, because it's not about you. It's certainly not about lewdness and exposure and attention. Worship me in truth. I want you to also have a note, note, notice something about this, these laws here, though. You see, it's going to be a rough-hewn altar, wherever the Lord should have it put. When we get to the time of the temple, it's to be a bronze altar in the temple complex in Jerusalem. That is where sacrifices are made. So can you see, even with Israel, within Israel's history, under God's purposes, we have to understand these laws within the current narrative of entering the land. But there is a principle there. God must be worshipped in truth. Calls for right worship are interspersed throughout these teaching. Exodus 22, whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord must be destroyed. This really matters. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Chapter 23. 
And this whole teaching, as I said, bracketed. It starts with right worship and it finishes at the end. The rules at the end are about proper keeping of the Sabbath practices, keeping of holy feasts, and how to make your offerings to the Lord your God. Israel was to worship God in truth in accordance with his character as he instructed. Now, I said I'd use prison fellowship as an example. I don't know how prison fellowship are going with the building of their altars or their underpants or lack thereof. Let me tell you what, the, let me share this with you. The vision of prison fellowship is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with prisoners and their families. In other words, their vision in the new covenant is that people might worship God in spirit and in truth. The one true God revealed in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we approach through the gospel, through the good news of the kingdom. That's prison fellowship's vision, that people might worship God in truth, through the Jesus who is the way, the truth and the life. That, I think, is consistent with the teaching of these commands. Second emphasis, worship in truth. Second emphasis we see revealing the character of God is a, an underlying emphasis throughout almost this whole body of law to pursue justice, act justly, which is righteousness in action, righteousness expressed, Justice involves the righting of wrongs or the seeking of righting of wrongs. Justice means there is equality of value for all people, whatever their status. And justice is often complex. Anyone working in the legal system will know that. But the basic principle underlining justice is that people are responsible or groups are responsible. They're accountable for their actions. If we have wronged another, even if it is inadvertent, then we are liable for that wrong. And we should make restitution to correct it as we are able. So there's numerous examples of this throughout the law, and there's numerous I could have picked. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. That's liability, that's recompense, that's just. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head for the cattle, head for the cattle for the ox, and four for the sheep. Oxes also plough, they're worth more. And actually, you're not just paying it back because you stole it, you've done absolutely the wrong thing. There's going to be certain larger measure of recompense for your willful wrongdoing. This is justice. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, Ken Kamau was talking about this the other day, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. That's just fair. It's justice. There's liability and compensation. Justice also depends upon what we say and how we behave. Righteousness in action. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Don't follow the crowd. 
when they're doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with what everyone else is saying, if you know it's wrong. Do not accept a bribe, because bribes, a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Don't do bribery. This is unjust. And there is to be measured justice in matters of life and death. The law here puts limits. There's not to be unmeasured revenge when gross crimes have been committed. In their context, lacking a sophisticated penal code or penal system or, or justice system, there is often the call for capital punishment for very serious offences. You see, apportioning justice is not easy. But it is absolutely necessary. And so it is that we have our justice system today. Our penal system today. We've got prison fellowship with us this morning. And well, here, here is another example of practicing these laws in our world, I believe. Prison Fellowship has a program called the Sycamore Tree Project, taken from the Zacchaeus story, if you know that. And Zacchaeus making restitution for his wrongs. And here's what they say. Through the Sycamore Tree Project, prisoners learn about taking responsibility for their crimes, confession and repentance for their actions, asking forgiveness, making restitution and reconciliation where possible. This is the pursuit of justice. Even though they're already incarcerated, this is pushing justice further. This is the heart of God. This is the character of God. This is what God wants, the pursuit of justice. If, to make it personal, if you scrape someone's car, you need to leave a note and make recompense. You need to pay for that damage. That's just. If you injure somebody, you need to make sure they're brought back to health, even if it is at your cost. Let's make it personal for issues in church life today. If someone is sexually molested in this church family because we haven't put certain boundaries and safeguards in place, we are responsible. If it ox, if you dig a hole and you don't cover up that hole and your donkey falls in it, you're responsible. And so do your safe spaces training. That is justice. We're trying to protect people. We're trying to run a safe church. That is justice. And I know it's a headache. I know it's a pain in the bum. Don't argue about it. Do it because it's just. We want people to be safe. And if we're, they're not safe, then guess who's liable? We are. And the courts say we are. And we're putting a lot of money into insurance and other schemes. Churches all over our nation are doing that and scout groups and sporting groups to ensure justice and safety for people. We need as a church, as God's people, to pursue justice in, in society, in our churches, in our communities. Because you know, our God is the God of faithfulness. Without, without injustice, good and upright is he his people are to be people of faithfulness 
without injustice, who are good and upright. And in particular, we are to exercise justice in pursuit of care for those who are poor and vulnerable and marginalised. We see this throughout scripture. God expresses a preference not for the strong and the mighty, but for the poor and the marginalised. That is his heart. For those who are downtrodden, for those who the world sees as weak. So there are many laws bringing that relating to the poor that actually bring a special mention from God. Chapter 22. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow and the fatherless. If you do, here's a special mention in these ones. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry, and my anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fathers. I care about this, says the Lord. When you enter the land, that you care for the poor and the marginalised. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal, charge no interest. If you take your neighbour's cloak as a pledge, okay, so you're borrowing my jackhammer, well, give me your coat so you don't run away and steal it. If you take your neighbour's coat as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, so at the end of the day he's got his jacket back and my jackhammer, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbour has, what else can he sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, says the Lord, for I am compassionate. These extra little bits added are particularly added to the ones for the poor and the vulnerable. God cares. Even the Sabbath laws addressed at the end of these laws, it says, I want you to let your fields lie fallow every seven years so that the poor can go and take the food. I want you to have one day off every seven days so that your poor and those working for you can have a rest. Otherwise, they'll be flogged like you were flogged in Egypt. And that's not good. Your whole pattern of life is to be structured around care for the poor and the marginalised. It's so easy to take advantage of those who are poor. In fact, many, many industries in our society explicitly seek to take advantage of the vulnerable and the poor. It's quick money. You've just got to flush it out of it before they run out. But that is sin. These people matter to God and they should matter to the people of God. But I want you to notice this. The poor and the marginalised are no better than anybody else. God has a heart for them. He says, do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Yeah, got that? Do not oppress a foreigner. For you know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. But then we have, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. Don't just follow the masses and do not show favouritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. We preference the poor. 
We care for the poor, but the poor are no better than anybody else. So when it comes to justice, everyone's on a level playing field. This is the law of God. So today, as we live under God's rule, we need to care for the poor and vulnerable, not in theory, but in practice. Uh, in our five-year vision, which comes to an end at the end of this year um, and, and into next year, we actually had an, a goal that we wanted to be far more intentional as a church family about ministering and caring for the poor and vulnerable. And that has meant that we have now adopted a special focus on the work of Baptist World Aid in Nepal for the villages of Azarang and Gimdi to give him for community development in those villages. And you've been very generous in supporting that. And that's, that's credit. It also means that locally we've partnered with Baptist Care and many, many people have been trained. And we've got people in this congregation sitting here today who visit people in this community who are poor, who are struggling, who have less. People in residential age care who are really marginalised. That's good. We've got people doing that within our own church family. That is good and that is righteous and honouring to the heart of God. And I said I keep picking on prison fellowship. As they try and practice these laws in our context. Yes, there's justice. They work in a system that implements justice and that justice is right. But people who are incarcerated are often forgotten. And they have very little and they very often come from very, very poor and marginalised and vulnerable circumstances. We must not forget those people. Uh, perhaps even more importantly, we must not forget their families who are also, as we saw on that video, marginalised. Because they've got a mum or a dad in prison. Angel Tree is beautiful. It's caring for the poor. And the marginalised. In church life, look out for the lonely. And there's plenty of them. If you haven't noticed them, you haven't noticed them. Look out for the marginalised. Care for those who are ill. Like Melinda sitting with her friend and holding her hand. Visit the elderly and love them and listen to them. Have a heart for the poor. Because that is the heart of God. Fourth element, last element I want to draw attention to from these laws. I think there's, uh, in these laws, just the call to just do what is right. This world is so, complex, so complicated. And the number one reason the world's complicated is because of what we call sin. We end up with all these really messy systems and structures. The whole Royal Commission from Child Abuse stuff is really, really messy and complex because it's dealing with sinful things which make the world messy and complex and it's hard to know what to do. We have to live within our messy, complex systems. There's often no easy answers. We all want to, want to draw hard and fast rules that fit for every circumstances, but the world doesn't work that way. Individuals are individuals. Choices are individual choices. It, it gets messy very quickly. Wherever we find ourselves, though, we need to struggle to do what is right, to put the needs of the other first. Individuals are worthy of honour and care. 
We need to treat them as such. Now, this point may sound a bit wishy-washy, so let me give you some examples of what I'm trying to get at when I say just do what's right. Much of chapter 21 relates to slavery. Laws for slaves, or we, NIV calls them servants, and it calls them slaves later on. Slaves, servants, whatever. Why, don't, why isn't there just one simple law there, one sentence, one verse that says, no slavery, you shall not have slaves. That would be a lot easier in our 21st century sensibilities. Now, the structures, a qualifier, the structures they had may be very different to what sometimes we imagine as slavery. So it may not have been the same sorts of systems. Nevertheless, the reality of this world is that there have always, in every culture, in every society, been people in power, people who rule, people with strength and ability who can exercise rule and governance over others almost as if they own them as property. That is the way our world has worked and will continue to work. There are power structures and actually those who are weaker need to fit into those power structures in order to survive. It's very easy to say about a third world employment situation, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's slavery. Well, you stop all those people working under those conditions and they stop working. And they stop earning. And they wonder where their food's coming from. Even perhaps as others abuse them because of their vulnerability. Even in our society, you know, we can call it employment. How would you like to lose your job? Well, if you don't do what the boss and the company says, you might lose your job. How much freedom do you have? Every morning I'm up at six o'clock. I don't want to get up at six o'clock. And so many people, I hate my work and off to work I go, hi-ho, hi-ho. But I'm free. Yeah, you are. We have different structures, different systems. In some societies, there's clear class divisions, such as the caste system in India, in Hindu India. In medieval times, there was master-serf relationships. There's landowner, tenant, farmer relationships, powerful boss, needy employee relationships, absolute master, absolute slave relationships. These things happen all over the world, always have. I think it's too simplistic to say this should not be. Yes, it should not be. It would be better if it wasn't like that. But we live in a complex world. And it's not as easy just to say you're dismissed. Go and find some other employment. When Israel enters the land, there will be debt slaves. There will be indentured people who cannot leave that family and that employer or that master. The concern of chapter 21 is not to comment on the existence of of that social condition, I think rather the concern of chapter 21 is to ensure that there is justice protecting the vulnerable within that social system. In other words, in your treatment of slaves, do what is right in your context. 
Do what is right. Another example, Jesus says, love your enemies. That's pretty radical teaching. But guess what? You get to this law. Here in the law, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. But it's my enemy. What? I just bumped into it. I don't care for his doc, doc, donkey or ox. I hate him. Oh, if you see a donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, you, beauty, you greedy pig, you put too much on your donkey, suck it up. No, 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 no. Do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do what's right. Love your enemies. Let me finish again with one more example. This strange law that finishes off the collection. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. How's that for a great way to finish the laws? Yeah, got it. It's often a dilemma I have. I've got this young goat. I've killed it. Should I cook it in its mother's milk or not? I don't know. Oh, the law says don't do it. Thank heavens. What's that all about? Well, here's the thing. I don't know what it's all about. I don't think anybody knows what it's all about. We're not there. That's not part of our culture. But let's think a little bit deeper. So first point with these laws, we don't always know. But let's think a little bit deeper. Cooking a young goat, a kid goat, maybe the male, you're going to eat it, milking his mum and cooking it in the mother's life-giving milk, doesn't that feel perverse? Isn't there something not right about that? So God's saying, do what's right. Don't do perverse things. Don't do things that just sort of make you feel, ah, maybe get some thrill out of cooking at its own mother's milk. No, no, that's not a good thrill. That's a distortion. And I think even more so here, to think about right worship, it's quite likely that the nations around saw this as a magic practice for special power. We'll kill this young goat. We'll cook him in his mother's milk, the life-giving milk, and that will seep in then. We will get the strength and the power of the mother's milk and the young goat in us. It's magic. God says, don't do that. You depend upon me. You trust me. You don't cook young goats in their mother's milk. Do what's right. In a complex world, we need to trust God and make our best efforts to do what is right. And it will often be complex. Again, I'm going to use prison fellowship as an example of trying to apply this principle. They deal with complex situations and frankly very complex people. Some of them have done dreadful, dreadful things. I don't know if there's any easy answers. For many of these circumstances with people who are incarcerated and their messy families. But that doesn't mean you forget them. Justice is right, justice is needed, and they're under the expression of justice. And, and are we being compromised? Are they using us? Are they trying to get us to excuse their behaviour? All these questions must come up. If only there was a simple law, well, here's the law. Do what's right as best you can, as you care for these people who are worthy of love and respect. One of the great ways Prison Fellowship do that is through their Camp for Kids program. 
In other words, we're going to run a camp, a yearly camp for the children of prisoners, those incarcerated. And we're going to tell them about Jesus so they can worship God rightly. And we're going to love them and we're going to accept them. And we're going to try and say, you can break the cycle. There are people who care. I want to be your friend. That is just doing what's right. That is a clean answer into complex families and complex circumstances. In your complex world, in your context, try and do what's right and pay the price. Look for clean answers amidst the complexity. See, you and I are a long way away from the narrative of Exodus. We are not gathered at the mountain after being delivered from slavery in Egypt. We're not heading for the promised land of Canaan. We have not been given God's law for us direct from his mouth. This is not our narrative. It's not our redemption. It's not our form of worship being explained. These are not our laws. But we're not so far from the narrative of Exodus. Actually, we're just further along the story. We gather as God's people today around his word, united by his spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We've been redeemed out of slavery to sin and death and Satan by the blood of Jesus our Lord. We've been bought at a price, a price of love. We have been called. We have been chosen to be God's holy people, his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests to serve the world. We've been given the down payment of the Spirit, which is a guarantee of our promised land, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the home of righteousness for eternity. That is our narrative. And in our narrative, there is to be unity, a unity to our salvation. We're called to live as God's people under his holy rule, under his law. We've been redeemed by Jesus to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, bound to his law. It's no different. One life. And the law of Christ, Jesus said, a new command I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, so shall you love one another. New because you're to love with the standard of Jesus, with the sacrificial love of Jesus, giving all for the other. A new command. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? He says, well, the first and greatest command is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. See, God's law for us today is the law of sacrificial love like the love of Jesus for you. The principles remain. 
We worship in truth. Anything beyond that is a dreadful failure to love God. So when we worship in truth, we hold fast to his word and we trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And that is love, to tell people that Jesus is Lord. And we pursue justice in a wickedly unjust world. And our preference must not be for the strong, but for the weak and the vulnerable. And so we humble ourselves to meet and to serve the weak and the vulnerable and to see others to serve the almighty glory of God. And in a complex world where everything seems compromised, perhaps increasingly so, don't you think? In a complex world where enemies seem to abound and seem to be accusing us of all sorts of things. In a complex world where the world, the flesh and the devil seek to overwhelm us, we seek in all things just to do what is right. Even when it goes against the tenor of the world, we do what is right. Because we serve another master, we belong to another kingdom. And we wait in hope for that kingdom to come in power when our Lord Jesus returns. That's how we follow these laws today, I believe. This is not an easy portion of scripture. We've skimmed through, we just touched the surface of three or four chapters. And I'm not pretending by a long shot that I've answered all the questions that I have or that you have. But I do believe that we've covered basic principles that show us the heart of God for his people. Principles that are inescapable for those who seek to live under his rule because we serve a God who does not change. Well, how could we say it? I do not know if we could say it better than the words of the prophet Micah many, many, over a thousand years after Moses. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Exodus 20 to 24. Let me pray. Father, give us a commitment to your character. Help us to obey your law. And Father, give us wisdom by the power of your spirit as we read through these difficult parts of the Old Testament and help us to see your character and purposes there and follow you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.